Count money, man. Money, Stack man. riches. Trying to try told him I'm a beast, bud. What's up, gang? Welcome to the Grindcast. Simon Arias here. Get ready. It's a new day. What's up, gang? Welcome to another episode of the Grindcast. Get ready. It's a new day. And I have my friend, uh, Deborah Searle, like Pearl, in the house with us today, all the way from the UK. Uh, I, I met her uh, at a John Maxwell event in uh, London within the last year. And uh, I just fell in love with her story and, and uh, ambition. And I'm thinking, you know, who better to have to inspire some of the people, not just the women? You know, sometimes we get women on and it's like, all right, we think it's only for women. But man, the, 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 the value that you bring, the things that you've accomplished for everybody, for anybody, men, women, everybody uh, is going to probably get something uh, from this. But I specifically wanted to, to show someone that's just a beast uh, female. So I'm going to read uh, the bio right off the paper and forgive me some of these things. Uh, I don't know. So we can make that part of, uh, of learning more about you because, you know, I just want to learn more about you. How was your upbringing and you know, all the, all that stuff. But so here it is motivational speaker, prof professional adventurer and founder of five companies. Deborah Searle, M-V-O-M-B-E, is a unique and inspiring individual. She has launched five companies, won gold world championship medals for GB. What is, what, what are they, which, which GB? Forgive my... Great, so it, for Great Britain. So Great it was, Britain, uh, gotcha. Great Britain. It's like being in okay. the US squad for a sport. Okay. So I don't, I don't know what... Uh, you know, how, how, what areas are the best for education around you? I know you mentioned four and a half hours from, from London, but for me, uh, I grew up in a, in a home, uh, in a town called Youngstown, Ohio. It's a, it's a small blue collar, uh, town. And I, I mean, I just got my work ethic from there. People, I just love the people down to earth from there. Um, and then I was rough around the edges. I kind of ventured off and I say all that to say, you know, there's, there's gaps sometimes you'll see in things like this of like, okay, I should, I should know GB, but there's my gap. And, you know, I, I got a college education, but there's things that I probably should know. So thank We've you. We've all for got that. gaps. <laughs> uh, so, so presented over 40 programs for the BBC, uh, became the youngest ever trustee of the Duke of Edinburgh's award and successfully rode solo across the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know if I could even, I had a hard time rolling, rowing solo uh, in Spain. I went to this like little small pond with my kids and, and they were videotaping me. I had my wife and my wife's in one boat. I'm in the other boat and we, and we start rowing and my wife's doing better than me and I can't even get the thing out of park. Uh, so I can't even imagine rolling uh, solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, Her Majesty the Queen has recognized Deborah on two occasions in 2002 with an MBE and in 2014 with an MBO. Uh, what's an MBE and an, and an MBO? 
Yeah, it's one of those things that if you're not from the UK, you wouldn't really know it. But in right, So I get a pass for that one then? Oh, totally. Okay. No, nobody right. knows outside the UK. But it's uh, MB stands for Member of the British Empire. And it's an award given by the Queen um, for uh, an act of great service. And then um, the MVO is a member of the Victorian Order. And that's a special award given by a member of the royal family if you've done specific direct work for the royal family. And I worked um, with Prince Philip, who's the Queen's husband, for 10 years on the Duke of Edinburgh's award board. So um, that was what that, that award was for. And it was kind of odd because I'm quite young to get those awards. And um, you go to Buckingham Palace and there's this big ceremony. And I was the only one that didn't really have gray hair. <laughs> Awesome. That's, that's amazing. That place was, was unbelievable. I mean, the, the experience just seeing all of that stuff was, was crazy. So I can imagine getting honored and stuff like that. Uh, Deborah has published three books, including the choose your attitude journal. Love that. Choose your attitude, a daily journaling practice designed for anyone who wants to apply the tools of positive psychology to help them to become happier and achieve their goals. Who wouldn't want that? Deborah has spoken at over a thousand events yeah. across 38 countries. The movie of her solo Atlantic row is currently in development in Hollywood. Yeah, Un Unbelievable. Really so who would have thought? So tell us about yourself. How did you grow up? How was your upbringing? And, and how did you turn into yeah. this just business and, and life just beast and you're a mom and you're a <laughs> wife and it's wow well, how did that happen Simon, thank you so much for having me on this and i and i really hope this will be we'll get into some quite practical stuff so people really get something uh, of value out of this session um but uh, you know just to put who i am in context obviously i'm here in the uk i live in england about four and a half hours southwest of london so i'm kind of down on the coast in the sticks and um i was brought up down here and uh, I had a kind of slightly rocky start in life. I was, uh, I'm one half of identical twins. So there is another one that looks just like me, who's my business partner. And um, unfortunately, we were given up for adoption at birth. We were, um, our birth mother was only 16. So uh, she obviously, you know, felt she couldn't cope with twins uh, at that age. And at the time, the law was that you couldn't, you didn't have to have, keep the twins together. So actually, we were fostered separately. Thankfully, we were adopted, though, back together and uh, had a you know, very happy childhood with a lovely family who already had my two brothers, my older brothers, and, uh, you know, went on to have a you know, much happier ride after that. But it was a, a bit of a shaky start. But it's meant that there's a bond between Haley and I, my twin sister, that is second to none, which is why we started four of the five businesses together, because there's, there's something very unique about our, our relationship. And it's partly because we're the only blood relative each other knows. Uh, and I, I guess I was your typical kid at school who I was sporty and I was interested in boys. And both of those things meant that I didn't really focus on my academics and I didn't do great at school. Uh, but what I really loved was exploration and adventure. I made this decision as a teenager, I was going to be a professional adventurer. And that's been the top job title on my business card for the last 20 years. And it has taken me all around the world doing these crazy expeditions um, but I also had this passion to, to follow in my father's footsteps. He's an entrepreneur and I grew up seeing him buying and selling and growing businesses. And I really wanted that too, but because I didn't do well at school academically, I just thought it was beyond me to do that. And then everything changed when I rode the Atlantic, because I guess it made me feel slightly invincible for a while. And I thought, why, why am I not doing my dream? And I, at the time I was a PE teacher, I taught phys ed to secondary school kids in a high school 
it wasn't really what I wanted to do. So uh, I left teaching and I, I set up my first business. Well, as you know, I did this the other way around. I set up the first business until there was enough revenue to drop the teaching job. And now we're five companies on amazingly. So I, I went on quite a journey to kind of have to really get rid of some of these massive limiting beliefs I had about my intelligence. And it's still something I feel I work on almost every week. There's something that really challenges my confidence about my intelligence. And so I really related to you at the start when you were saying there are gaps, you know, so um, very much the same. But I'm now in a you know happy place where I, I have m multiple businesses. We out of the five, three are going strong. They weren't all successful, but they were mine. And uh, I, I, I learned a lot from the biggest mistakes. And uh, That's great. I have two little girls. And um, yeah, kind of now, now doing that whole juggling uh, kids and homeschooling and trying to keep the businesses going in Corona times. How, you know, that's cool to hear you talk about not only the, the successes, but, you know, some of the mm. failures, you know, it's, or, yeah. or, you know, it's not everything is successful. And I was so relieved when I heard you start to tell your story and stuff. I'm like, okay, so I definitely get a pass on the GB now because you have <laughs> gaps. You got some gaps. too. I got so big gaps. <laughs> so, so, you know, how would you say you've shifted your mindset, you know, to handle uh, the way that you view yeah. Uh, setbacks or struggles or, you know, obstacles or perceived failures, you know, Maxwell has yeah. that book, you, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn, you know, type deal. And I think, you know, a lot of people, most people um, struggle with going to the next level sometimes just based on fear of failure. Yeah. And, and the fear is always there. In my opinion, you just got to find a way to get through that. Yeah. And uh, understand that they're learning opportunities. So how have you been able to use some of the, the things that you weren't uh, necessarily successful as you wanted to be at to catapult you into areas that you were extremely successful at? Yeah, I mean, it's a real process and there's there's quite a few elements to it. I suppose, first of all, is that I had to really uh, work through this issue of these limiting beliefs I had. And I and the way I did that is I said, right, okay, what is the evidence that you are unintelligent and cannot start a business? And I and I had to, you know, I had to work through and I go, well, I, I got, you know, I ended up getting this qualification and I've achieved this when, you know, I struggled. And so I started to see that there wasn't really the evidence to support what I'd I discovered that about my intelligence. And actually I had to really go back and search, why do I feel that way about myself? And actually I realized it was because I have an identical twin who was very capable. She did really well at school. And I was constantly compared to her. People would say, oh, how did you do in your exam results? And then the next question would always be, oh, and how did Haley do? And you realize they're doing this calculation of, wow, she did a lot less better, you know, a lot less well than her sister did. And this constant affirming of, you're just not as good as your sister. You're not very bright. You're not very intelligent. And so I had to really kind of go back into my history and go, why have I got this stuck in my head? And now what do I do about it? And so I've, I've started questioning, you know, what is the evidence? And as you go on in life and you get more successful, you've got even more evidence that it's not true. I'm actually really capable. But I also have, I have trigger phrases. I have um, songs that motivate me. I have, I even, this little thing here around my neck, I don't know if you can see it, it's a little, oh, hello. There's, there was someone behind you then. <laughs> it's a little Barney the sea turtle. And when I was wearing the Atlantic, I loved the sea turtles that would come and visit me. And so I had a necklace made. And when I'm feeling unconfident, I, I hold it sometimes in meetings and this is like my little trigger in my brain to go, come on, Deborah, if you can row an ocean, you can get through this meeting and win. I can see someone hiding behind that. That's, that's my 17 year old. And, uh, <laughs> and we got a new puppy. And oh. 
the cool thing is from me working from the home office is I got a couple assistants. So I, I say, oh, it's hot in here. Come open up the window for me. And then my, my puppy here, I'll show you. The, uh, we got a new bull mastiff. Just <gasps> slid in, slid in. Hello. Hi. Hi. What's your this name? Is our, this is our three month old puppy. Oh my goodness. Your three-month-old puppy is already a beast. That's enormous. Oh, mastiff! Just, j just a giant. <laughs> just a giant. So the 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 hard thing for my poor seventeen-year-old is uh, I'm home. So now I'm like she's up at five in the morning, you know, getting workouts in, making her listen to podcasts and send me notes like boot camp. She's like, we got to get Uncle Simon out of here ASAP. Uh, so anyway, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. No, that was a, that was a great interruption. That was great fun. <laughs> what, what, what uh, you know, during this transition, you mentioned, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier and, you know, you said, you know, a couple of the businesses they haven't allowed to, or you can't really get rolling the same during this uh, pandemic, yeah. COVID-19. Uh, but one of them is, is, is rolling, uh, you know, seems like pretty successful. How have you, how have you been able to control what you can control? How have you been able to flip the switch, you know, so to speak of, uh, what can I excel in right now? How do I not waste, waste time, but how do I find a way to grow, uh, when I'm limited at the same time? Yeah. So yeah. what would your suggestion be to people that are kind of, you know, shut down to where they can't really do some things in their business? Yeah. How have you taken an approach to still find a way to, grow even if it's internally yeah we've well the first thing i did was had a really good look at the financials and i think it's a time like this you can't bury your hand head in the sand particularly if you're a business owner or you know in a management position you've got to be very real about what is the, the financial forecast going forwards if we're still in lockdown six months from now or if if my particular industry doesn't bounce back in a year from now what are we going to do so i think getting very realistic about where the numbers were at was important because that gave us a clear plan and it also then allowed us to go, okay, we're going to lose all the income in this one business because, you know, it was in events and events, big scale events where people come together, can't happen anymore. So that's not going to be there for a long time. And so then it was a case of, okay, it's now time to pivot. We've got to look at what can we do that we were doing offline and how do we put it online? And just getting really proactive about just controlling the controllables. What are the things, what is the next step I can take to get this online or to, you know, do this digitally or and, and then how can we go out to previous clients and sell them this new way of being? Because um, we're all sat at home still hoping work is going to continue. There are still customers out there to sell to. So we went back and through the last three years of clients, we really researched, you know, who is still at the same company, getting on LinkedIn, who's moved, you know, have we still got the right contact details? Are we still current with their, their, you know, their, the communications we can have with them? And, uh, and then just bring out a whole new marketing campaign to get the products and the ideas out to them and to start build new revenue streams because the old ones are gone. You know, we just can't sit around waiting for them to come back. So it was just being really proactive about, uh, you know, step by step, control the controllables and let go of the rest, let go of all the stuff we can't do anything about at the moment anyway. And that involves letting go of all the emotional stress about it and the, you know, all the racing brain and the, the thoughts about it because that's not helping me bringing the revenue, you know, I've got to, got to channel the, the energy, the little bit I have got after I finished homeschooling into what is the one thing I can do here that would get something in front of the customer where they might buy something. 
so that's been our approach so far, and it's it's working quite well so far. It's it's it feels a little bit like being in startup mode again, if I'm honest. And this one business we're you know we're pivoting. It started 20 years ago. Uh, it's 20 years ago that I left my teaching job and started it. So um, it feels like I'm back in the trenches doing stuff that I haven't done for many years. But I ha- I feel like I've got no choice. If I want the business to be there in a year from now, I got to get down and dirty and doing all the jobs that I don't really want to do. But somebody's got to do them at the moment. Yeah, I think the key thing that you know that you said too is is I think the people that are going to thrive are the ones that are controlling what they can control. You know, so mm-hmm. many so many people that you know they'll get paralyzed for a minute. And everybody, you know, when it first happens, like kind of yeah. stuck. But yeah. then it goes so, okay. You know, I have to do something that I can control, so I'm not just sitting here moping, feeling bad, getting in your in your own mental, you know, because that's not going to help us get to where we want to be. You know, I, yeah. I know you talked about you were traveling so often and, you know, that it's been one of the blessings you've been able to be home yeah. a little bit more with your kids and a little bit more w- with the family because, you yeah. know, I don't, probably not as much as you, but I'm always on traveling and planes and stuff too. Yeah. As your, as your, you know, what was your daily kind of, do you have a successful daily routine, you know, sometimes in athletes, you know, it's like, all right, this is my warm up. This is my routine that I do to get myself in, in, in mental shape and in game mode. Do you have a, yeah. a, a routine at all? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, my, my key thing is getting up before the family because I know if once they're up, it's very hard to do the, the morning routine. So I get up before the others and I exercise uh, first I train I've always trained at home actually um, so I I, I I love doing kind of hit sessions high intensity interval training sessions so I do that for half an hour and then I have um, 15 minutes where I I fill in this this journal this user attitude journal and then I have about 15 minutes where I you know I I pray, I meditate, I do the kind of the more spiritual side. And that hour, you know, it's like, it feels like there's a lot packed into that hour, uh, but that's really key for me. And the way I do the the hit sessions is um, I alternate between doing them kind of with with weights and, and, and um, you know, dumbbells or with um, kettlebells. And then the next day I'll do it on a bike. And when I'm sat on the bike doing the hit session, I have an online course on my laptop in front of me. So every other day I do learning for the half hour while I'm training or I listen to a podcast. So, um, so, you know, for me, that's been a routine that's been there for a while. The key is getting to bed early, early enough because I probably spent the first 15 years of my career going to bed too late. Like I, I wish I could rewind back to If I could change one thing, I would work out what I needed to do to get myself in bed earlier. I was, all, you know, when I think that's natural sometimes when you're a business owner, you're like, you just keep grinding. And so I was always going to bed at 1am and then still getting up at 5.36 and thinking, oh, I'm okay. I can survive on this slut sleep. And I was okay. I can function on that. But my brain didn't work very well. And it wasn't until I started getting more sleep that I realized how much more effective I can be, how much better I am at my physical training, you know, how much more better I am at managing people and customers when I get more sleep. So I, I have quite a nighttime routine now as well to make sure that I'm in bed at a time to be able to get up and do that morning routine. That is so valuable. That is a gem right there. You know, that I don't want to just blow by that. That I'm a, I'm a huge, you know, everything you just named that you do in your hour, everybody that kind of knows me and my belief system, uh, I preach mind, body, spirit, you know, mm-hmm. mentally, physically, spiritually, developing and training yourself. 
And yeah. that's, that's, I have a very, very similar routine uh, in the mornings of, of uh, prayer and scripture and reading and mm-hmm. exercising and, you know, all, all the same stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. For me, it's like brushing your teeth. You know, it's like you got to brush your teeth, but you got to brush your spirit. You got to brush your mind. You got to get your body rolling. Yeah. And uh, that's, but that's you know what, Simon, I think that I think the challenge is people know inherently they know that those things are good for them. They know they'd probably function better if they did them. The challenge is people struggle to build them into a habit that they do as naturally as you say, brushing your teeth. Like this is just what I do every day. And the big tip I would give people on that is that we can, we have lots of habits every day that are very established. We all probably brush our teeth twice a day. We probably remember to make our first coffee of the day or put the blinds or the curtains open when it's morning. Like we have habits that are, that are on autopilot. We don't even have to think about them. We just do them. And so what we can do is the things that we want to become habit, we stack them on top of one that is already habit. So an example would be, I have a habit stack in the evening that when I brush my teeth in the evening, I always then get my gym kit and put it by the side of my bed so that when I step out of bed in the morning, I have to stand on my gym kit to get out of bed. And just that one habit stack of putting my gym, you know, I brush my teeth, then I put my kit out. That one habit stack has meant that it it has helped me get, get into the mindset of getting up every morning and exercising. And I, I know it's, it sounds like such a simple thing, but I've done it with everything. Like my journal, you know, I, this, every night I lean it against my kettle, which, cause I drink tea in the mornings. And so in order to make my first tea, I've got to move the journal off the kettle and then it's in my hand. I'm like, okay, it's here now. Let's, <laughs> let's write the journal, you know? So it's about finding ways to stack habits on ones that are already embedded so that we, you know, we can start to get some of these things in autopilot in our brains. What did you do to transition? You know, you mentioned in, you know, in business, a lot of times people's mind is racing and, you know, they're always thinking that they, because you never really get it all done. You know what I mean? It's it, you all want 48 hours in a day. And, and so, you know, how did you transition to train your body, you know, and train your mind to, all right, because to go to, you know, what time are you typically getting up in the morning? Um, about quarter to six. So, you know, that means you, you got to try to be in bed before, you know, I'm yeah. assuming 10. And if I 11 is good for me, (laughs) ideally 10. How did you do that? How how did you transition from, you know, from that? So I, what the first thing I did was I worked out how long does it take me from when I decide I'm going to get to bed to going to bed. And I realized that from when I decide to when I get into bed, it's normally about an hour to an hour and a quarter. So I set an alarm on my iPhone that goes off every night at 9.45 PM that says, go to bed now, Deborah. (laughs) And then underneath it, it says, no, don't do one more job. Just go to bed now. <laughs> and that comes up every night at 9.45 because I'm like this. I'm on the laptop. I'm like totally engrossed. I'm not thinking about it. And then it comes up and every night I'm surprised like, oh, it's 9.45 already. OK, so now I go and sort the kitchen and I get the kids stuff ready and I, you know, and I do all that other stuff. And, and then all of a sudden it's like 10, quarter past 10 and I'm only just getting into bed then. So it's been having some triggers, you know, like this alert that's helped me to remind me to get into bed. I also, um, I stopped drinking tea and coffee by midday each day. That made a big difference. Uh, I, um, I stopped reading business books at bedtime because I found if I read, um, <laughs> if I read 
nonfiction, then I would be like full of ideas and we should try that, you know. But if I read fiction and just read a story, I would often be asleep within a few pages. So I had to change the things that I was putting in my brain. And I also stopped reading and looking at anything on a device for an hour before bed so that I wasn't getting the blue light. And so it's been quite a journey. Like I've, I literally had to commit to that for about a year to get it into a routine. But it made a huge difference because once it was established, um, now that morning routine happens without me having to think about it. It's just a given. I'm going to get up and do it. Life changer. Life yeah. changer. So, yeah, you know, you're been. probably, you know, best known by the, you know, the solo row across the Atlantic and, and stuff yeah. like that. Can you tell some of the uh, listeners out there, you know, maybe what were some of the, what was the mindset like? What was that like? There had to be some grueling moments, you know, what was the, some yeah. of the obstacles that you got through and, and all of that yeah. stuff? Yeah. I mean, more, when I set out to row the Atlantic, that was 18, 19 years ago now. Um, there were more people who'd been to the moon than had rowed across an ocean and survived at that point. And I had entered a double-handed race. Uh, there were 36 teams from 16 different countries, including one American team. And the main difference between our team and all the others was we were the only mixed-sex team. The other were all double-handed men's teams. And I'd gone with my ex-husband. He's six foot five. He'd rowed for Great Britain. You know, he was this big powerhouse. I had never even rowed before. And, and so I was like the joke entry of the race. If anyone wasn't going to make it, it was little wifey Deborah. And when we set off on the first day and we lost sight of land, we realized that Andrew had this massive phobia of open ocean and he literally lost it. He was having panic attacks. But, you know, we'd spent four years of our life building up to this, preparing for it. And I wasn't, I just thought we can't just give up on it like that. But he got worse and worse. He wasn't eating or drinking. And so then by the end of the first week, he started losing consciousness because he was physically then in a bad way as well. And I, I felt I had no option but to call for the rescue boat to come and help us. Um, by this point, all, you know, we hadn't seen anyone for a week. By this point, all the other crews had gone. And, and, uh, and then I was left with this impossible decision. You know, do I get off onto the rescue boat and go home with Andrew? Or do I stay out here on my own and try and finish it for both of us? And I chose to go on alone, even though they said, you know, when they picked Andrew up, they said, look, we can't follow along behind you. There's only one rescue boat and we've got to get Andrew back to hospital. So for however much longer the 3000 miles takes you, you're completely alone. And that was a big moment, like knowing, wow, like I'm literally in a boat that's six millimeter thick plywood. That's seven, not even seven meters long. That's about a meter and a half wide. So it's like what we're going, going through at the moment, this kind of social isolation through this COVID lockdown but in a really small space, like being, I mean, there's, it's all open to the elements except for one bit, which is like a coffin shaped pod that you can get in if it's really stormy and you can shut the watertight door down and the boat's designed to be self-writing. So if it gets knocked over by a wave, it will roll back up again. And that became my world. And, you know, with Andrew on board, we thought it would take us about six weeks, but it ended up being three and a half months it took me because I was alone. And that's a long time to be alone. <laughs> So how, how did you, you know, if it was supposed to be six weeks yeah, and, then, and it was supposed to be you and your husband, then all of a sudden it's longer than six weeks and, and, and your husband's not there mm. and it went past three months, you know, what was that mental battle like? How did you push through that, yeah. that mindset? It, it was huge, you know, because whether, when the mind goes, the body will follow, right? So it wasn't, it wasn't a physical challenge in many respects. It was, in my mind, it seemed almost entirely mental. 
because I, you know, like the lockdown we're in at the moment, I didn't know how long this new world was going to be in existence. I didn't know how long I was going to be out there. And so I came up with a whole load of mindset tools that I could, I could just constantly keep applying different ones of them um, in order to keep my positivity levels up. Because that's what I realized early on was that if I can boost my positivity, if I can feel positive about being out here and not spiral down into this fear and depression and, you know, just terrifying. Because you know, particularly at night when it's pitch black out there, you look over the side, you know, and it's, you know, there's like two kilometers of dark water below you. And there is nobody for weeks. Like there might be some container ships, but they're not going to stop and help a tiny little rowing boat. It's physically, it would be very difficult for them to help me anyway. So I knew once the, the safety boat had left me, I, I had to find ways mentally to stay positive, to keep going. And so one of the key things I did was this um, choose your attitude exercise. And I wrote, choose your attitude on the door that faced me. It was, you know, that was the cabin door. And that's what I wrote. It was on my eye line. And so every, every day I would be looking at it and I'd stop by that door at breakfast time. And I would, I'd say it out loud, right, come on, Deborah, choose your attitude. Which one is it going to be today? And I'd make myself pick an attitude, although it you know, had to be a positive one because negative ones were banned from the boat. And, I, and it was really hard to think of anything positive a lot of the mornings because it was horrible out there on my own. And I'd be like, right, come on then. Today's attitude is like enthusiasm, you know, or something like that. And then the next bit was I had to list out loud, if you were enthusiastic, what would the day bring? And I'd think, well... If I was being enthusiastic, I might pull a bit harder on the oars and then maybe I'll do more miles than I've done on 20, you know, in this, in this next 24 hours. And, and generally by the end of breakfast, I'd feel pretty enthusiastic or whatever the one I was I picked. And it wasn't always positive because that wasn't what I needed, but it had to be positive in nature, like, you know, patience or calm or enthusiastic or optimistic. And that exercise, what it also stopped me doing, and I think we all do this and we're all doing it a lot at the moment with this COVID lockdown is um, it stopped me running the list of the things I either wanted that I was frustrated about that I couldn't have or that I hated. And if I didn't do the choose your attitude exercise each morning, I'd sit there going, I just want to sleep in a bed that's totally still for a whole eight hours. And I, and I want to drink anything other than this disgusting purified seawater because that's what I was living off. And, um, you know, I really wanted some more toilet roll, toilet paper, because I'd run out and I was having to use my sock. I mean, it just become desperate out there. But if I did my choose your attitude exercise, I at least started the day in the right way with the right mindset. And, and it was this massive transformation for me of realizing I get to choose the attitude I approach each day with. Until that time, I didn't realize, like, I didn't, I didn't get this thing of I'm the thinker of my own thoughts. I get to choose whether I think positively or negatively. And that for me was a huge turning point in life. And once I started using that, when I got back from the Atlantic Row on day-to-day -day life, everything changed. That's when the businesses started to grow. You know, I started to get more success in my relationships. And it's just recognizing that we have so much more control over it than we realize. Yeah. It sucks, yeah. but like, if you've been through that by yourself, yeah. you know, mentally for months, uh, pitch black, you know, it's like unbelievable yeah. the things that you probably realize that you can yeah. go through. I know mentally, you know, you've, you've, you know, you've talked about, you know, kind of looking at your life in advance and, and, mm. and visualizing what your life would look like by the end of that story, whenever yeah. that story is over. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's so much power in, 
having a vision, you know, visualizing things in in advance. And it kind of gets cliche. How important do you think it is to to visualize and, you know, any advice for someone to kind of enhance their vision and and, uh, the ability to look in, in the future? Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy that in business we don't use it more because if you think any athlete would be taught in sports psychology how to visualize their success, and yet why do we not use it more in the business community? Because there's loads of scientific evidence now that visualization is the best way to train our brain to help us perform better, regardless of whether the performance is a sales pitch or, you know, hitting a golf ball into a hole, you know. So um, I think where people get confused about visualization is they don't realize the simplicity of it but that that you do need to do it quite regularly and so it's if I say to people you know if you um if you visualize now in your mind go to the place that makes you really happy like maybe it's a beach you know or a coffee shop you like and um, and instantly you would be able to imagine everything about that and almost you could probably imagine the way it felt to be there or you can imagine the smell of that place and that's all it is it's it's almost like what I try and imagine the I call it my future truth it's not truth at the moment but it's my future truth this is where I'm going to be and I imagine I'm if I close my eyes I can almost see it like it's on a big flat screen tv and I'm seeing myself in that moment you know and um it's incredibly powerful when you then add you try and you've got to add the feeling though like what would it feel like to really be in that moment because what they know now from neuroscience when they put people on brain scans and they ask them to visualize, when they then say, now imagine how it would feel to have achieved that, your brain literally lights up. Like they see the synapses in your brain connecting. So there's evidence it works, but what we need to do is get into the routine of using it. And so it's one of the reasons why when I journal in in the morning, I journal in future truths. So I write as if I've already won that contract or I've, you know, already done this great thing with my kids or we've already been on this amazing holiday and all we're really doing is training our brain to show us the opportunities to make those things a reality. So, so powerful. Now, is that something that uh, is just for you or do you have this that's available to others? I thought you said that was available to others, the, uh, the daily journaling. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah. There's, there's this one. There's a, there's a much prettier color as well for this. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So two colors and they, um, they're on my website, debrasell.com. We ship everywhere in the world. So, um, the, what I really like about this, and this, this came out of the fact that when I was at sea in the rowing boat, I had a ship's logbook, and I, I wrote in it my latitude and longitude every day, but I also then started to write. I realized how cathartic it was just to be writing what I was experiencing and imagining that moment of getting to the quayside in Barbados, which was my Finnish port and my family all being there and this amazing moment I would get where I'd get to hold my mum and like I used to imagine that when I held her I'd give her a bit of a sniff because my mum always used Nivea cream on her face so she has this smell about her and I would write about this in my journal uh, in the ship's logbook and when I got back I realized how powerful that practice had been Um, and then I, I added other things to it as well. So there's a section, for example, where I write down three things I'm grateful for. And I know lots of people know the science behind a gratitude practice, but I found writing down three little things in the last 24 hours that's happened that I'm grateful for. Um, it's like I install an app in my brain because then I scan my world looking for things. What are the good things that are happening that the next day I can write down in my journal? And I love that because it, actively makes my brain look for the positives rather than always seeing the negatives, which I think naturally we do anyway. 
Um, and when I tell you the one thing I really like to do with the three gratitudes though is, is I always make, I make myself write one of them about my husband. Because I think particularly at the moment when we're in lockdown, we're in this very intense situation with our partners they're often the people who get the worst of us. Like they, we can really take things out on them. And I stop seeing the good in him sometimes. So if I force myself to write one thing I'm grateful for that my husband has done, it might be something really small, like he took the bin out or he made us a pizza or, you know, but it, it just keeps reminding my brain, yes, I'm married to a good man and he's he's good and kind and I mustn't be horrible. <laughs> Amen. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's ironic you say that. You know, I, I um, years back, uh, my wife and I weren't in the best place in our marriage. And when, when I was reading that in a book and about focusing on the positives in your spouse that we start to take for granted over time yeah. and, and repetition and routine, uh, the little things you don't even pay attention to. And so what I did is starting in January that year, which was years ago, I, I wrote down every single day something that I caught her doing that I appreciated yeah. uh, uh, about her. And I gave it to her on Thanksgiving day oh. and it, you know, all the things that I was uh, thankful for. And uh, man, I believe that was, that was like one of the things that I contribute. Uh, I don't want to say a turning point because it wasn't that bad, but it was, you know, it was like mm. a, a major jump in where we went in our marriage that started with myself mentally uh, appreciating those things. I think when you're, yeah. when you're, zoned in and you have the mindset that you that you have you know it's like you know you 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 look from the outside you know if i if i look at you you know you said you were a teacher you know mm -hmm. it's like okay uh a or b a uh this woman was a teacher or b she sailed uh, or she rode by herself in pitch black for three and a half months around like sharks in the middle of nowhere you know savage what what which one i would say oh she's you know definitely the teacher, yeah. you know, because you have that unassuming look to you, but I yeah. know, but you know, when we met, like I'm small as well, like I'm not a big woman. <laughs> and I think people expect this big kind of Russian shot putter type woman who's going to turn up. And I'm, I'm really quite small. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, and I recognize that. Like, I, I think it's one of the reasons I speak all around the world is that, um, you know, I, I think they, I look quite normal and, it, I, what I hope it does is that the audience can go, well, if she can do that, then I can do this. You know, it's because she's not, she's not a big athlete. She's not a, you know, but you know, she managed to spend three months alone and get through two hurricanes I had while I was out there. So yeah, I hope, I hope, um, inspires people. What, what, you know, speaking of inspiring people, I think what's, what's inspiring is, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, it's not easy, but you can do it all. You know, you could be a, a dad or, or a mother, you could be a husband and you could be yeah. successful and you could put the work in and, and you could, you could do it all, but it's definitely not easy. And yeah. so you're a mom of, of two, you know, mm -hmm. you have multiple businesses, yeah. um, you're, you're married, you know, and that takes work and, and you're taking care of yourself, you know, physically and mentally and spiritually, you know, how, do you make all of that work? You know, because yeah. I think sometimes people compartmentalize what they can do. Like, yeah. well, I don't want to pursue my dreams because I want to be a good dad or I want to yeah. be a good, you know, this, that you can't do it all. How are you able yeah. to do it all? Yeah. So I think the first thing is you can't do it all. And it's probably a myth to believe you can. And so um, in various areas of my life, I've, I've really had to 
do some soul searching about what is the thing that only I can do? Like, what is the thing that only I can do as a mother for my children? What is the thing that only I can do in my business that I couldn't either outsource or get an employee to do for me? And so that was a good starting point because then I stopped trying to do everything and I stopped and I started just doing the things that I was good at that I knew would make a difference and shift the needle in home life and at work. The second thing I did was I accepted that um, I needed some help. I needed help cleaning the house. I needed help uh, doing laundry. I mean, <laughs> I don't have a housekeeper, but we get a cleaner that comes once, once a week. We have a cleaner that comes in for two hours. And I, I know that seems like a real luxury to a lot of people would say I'd never spend money on a cleaner, but it's just, for me, it's the same price as, I don't know, four Starbucks or something. I'm like, I, I will forego the four Starbucks if it means that somebody comes and cleans my house so that the time I have got free, I'm spending with my children having fun, not cleaning the house around them. And so we, I just, you know, I, I, it frustrates me when I see these women who pretend that they, they're doing it all, they're running empires, they're bringing up their kids, they're cleaning their home. You just, you can't do it all. And so I, I you know, I, I think I've invested a bit of money, even when it was difficult to afford to have a cleaner or it was difficult to afford to get other help for various bits. Totally things like, you know, when you make a decision when you're going to start employing more people in a team, that seemed like a really big decision. But the reality is if you recruit the right people, they free you up to do the bit that you're really good at that only you can do. So I, I ha it's felt like a gamble at times, like, oh, can I really afford to take on this person? But each time you take in the right person, you go, wow, look how much more I can achieve now, though. So, if, you know, if you're saying, you know, you can't do it all, how how are you, in a sense, able to have success in, in mm -hmm. all those areas? You know, uh, mm -hmm. as a mom, as a wife, mm -hmm. as a friend, as a daughter, as a sister, yeah. as a bit, you know, what is your strategy, you know, or, or suggestion to people that are, in a similar situation as yeah. to, you know, because you have to be able to do it all in a sense, you just yeah. can't do it all at once, you know, yeah. other than I love what you said about the, the hiring, you know, someone to help you, you know, yeah. do some of those things because it frees you up, you know, to do other stuff. I think that's huge. Any other tips on, you know, yeah. how are you going to rock, you know, whatever your business or focus is and you travel, but still not completely drop the ball as a, as a mom. You know what yeah, I mean? So, yeah, and I think that's about setting very clear parameters. And as a family, we made some decisions around that, particularly with my work travel, that I would only ever travel Monday to Thursday and that by Friday night I would be back in time for pizza and movie night. You know, like that's like if I'm not back on the – and I would never take work on a weekend. Um, I, I stopped quite a few years ago now, or, and sometimes I get offered, you know, I, like I, the reason I was at that John Maxwell event is that I spoke at a John Maxwell conference and um you know it's a huge privilege when you get asked to speak on these really big stages but if it's on a saturday or sunday i always say no and that's sometimes i'm like oh but i really want to go but i've made a promise to my kids and my husband that i will always be home for weekends particularly if you travel in the week like that that time is family time um the other big parameter we have is around our phones as a family we have a big parameter around that because where our eyes go our mind goes and even when we're with our children, you know, physically we can be there, but we're not present. And so we, we don't look at social media or emails if we're in the same room as our children. Um, and, and, it, and the kids know that this is such a rule now that if we're, you know, if we ever forget and we get the screen out and they're like, no screens, you know, so they, um, they, they hold us accountable to that rule. And I think that one single thing makes a really big difference. 
Um, and it's also the parameter about the phones is also we don't have phones in the bedroom either, you know, because the bedroom is not for, for work. <laughs> it's either for sleep or sex. It's not for work. <laughs> I like that. Amen to that, sister. I love it. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned the, the, the Maxwell event and, and stuff. Is there any books that you would suggest, you know, that, that you yeah. like that are kind of your go-tos? Yeah. I mean, any of John Maxwell's, of course, are pretty amazing. <laughs> um, um, for me, the Bible is up there because it's full of great leadership skills and lessons. And it's, you know, great if you want to know how do you build a good team around you and um, learn compassion. Like those are those are the real things you learn in the Bible. So I think there's a lot of good in that. Um, Any uh, favorite books in the in the Bible? Like my go to's uh, Proverbs and Psalms. Yeah, I guess I'm more of a Proverbs and Psalms. I'm not so good at the kind of Old Testament, really scary ones. <laughs> uh, I find Proverbs and Psalms a bit more inspiring. Um, I really liked, um, there's been a few modern books recently that have helped me a lot from a business perspective. One of them was um, Atomic Habits by James Clear. I mean, that probably helped me establish more habits and get them stuck and routine and on autopilot than anything else has. So practical, very readable. So Atomic Habits by James Clear is a really good one. And another one I found, for I just finished, that helped me at work was, um, it's called Deep Work by Cal Newport. And that one uh, really opened my eyes to how I carve out chunks of time for the big, big project work. Not the kind of day-to-day stuff, but the kind of future stuff that I really want to develop. Um, and from a kind of brain point of view and learning about how we use visualization and the power of our brains and our minds, uh, there's quite an old book now called The Power of the Subconscious Mind by jo- Dr. Joseph Murphy, I think he is. Uh, and The Power of the Subconscious Mind taught me a huge amount that I have applied both in my business, my home life, and my sports life, that has been helpful. Love it. Thanks for those. So it was uh, Atomic Habits. Yeah. Did you say Deep Work? Deep Work, yeah. Deep Work, and then Power of uh, Subconscious Mind. Yeah, the Power of the Subconscious Mind. Yeah, but I don't want to take all your time. I know how busy you are, but I I did have one more thing I wanted to try to uh, get from you, and that, that would be you know, you, it, for, for the things that you've set out to do, especially the, the Atlantic ocean thing, you, you start to people set goals, you know, like that was a goal and then obstacles happen. You know, it's like, all right, all of a sudden metaphorically, you know, we're in the middle of the ocean, you know, in the dark by ourselves. you know, a lot like life sometimes. And, and so you set that goal and then you find yourself, by yourself or tired or in a situation that's not ideal with your sock or the water that you're drinking. And, you know, all of those things are very comparable to, to life. And, and, and so what things would you suggest or give to people that set a goal Mm -hmm. and from where they are and where they want to be that in between stuff that you got to go through because you didn't give up, you know, what, what yeah. suggestions, you know, to not give up. And yeah. I know you gave some of, some of that stuff, but yeah. uh, any last. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first thing, keep running the movie in your head, like you're seeing on a big screen TV of that, that final moment, what it would feel like to get there. But then you've got to break it down into much smaller steps. And particularly when we get hit, knocked off course, um, there's a great piece of research that I read uh, in the Harvard uh, from the Harvard Business School that came out about the power of small wins. And I think they're really important that often it seems so overwhelming. The goal is big. 
and if you just say, what is the one thing I could do today? And it's a small win, like a tiny win that would help me take one step closer to that thing I've been visualizing. Although it, if you write something that's so small, like say you want to write a book and you say, right, today I'm going to write the first line. Like anyone can write a first line. But what happens is you get this feedback loop and your brain goes, wow, I've already done one line. Okay, well, maybe I could just, while I'm here, do line two, you know, and, and then all of a sudden you've written a page. So there's this feedback loop of, yeah, you've achieved it. Let's keep going, you know. So pick something so tiny that if you didn't do it, that would just be so lame if I didn't do that one thing because it's a tiny thing, that small win. Uh, and, and then just keep doing the small wins and they, you know, they build up to the big wins eventually. Um, but I think the other thing we, we, we really need to do is to take time to celebrate the small wins. Like at the moment with lockdown, there, there have been things that we're not, you know, we're not, we're, we don't have the level of income we normally have at this time of year. We, there's lots of things that aren't going great. And so now I've gone back to really encouraging myself about the small wins. Like if there's something I ticked off my to-do list, I'm like, I do this little fist bump, like, yeah, come on, you know, it's like, it was a small win, but we've got to stop and recognize sometimes that we are making progress instead of going, oh, but I've still got this much more to do. Go, no, do you know what? Well done, Debbie. You've done one of them. Come on, let's keep doing the next one. I think this, this inner voice, this chat we're having with ourselves is really important. We've got to keep pushing ourselves up, not, not sabotaging ourselves. Amen. I think, um, man, Deborah, you're, you're so, uh, so special. It's, it's easy to see, um, why you've been able to do some of the things that, that you've done. It's kind of hard to not root for you and root for someone you know, you. like you. And, uh, I just want to thank you for, for blessing us with, with, uh, your time and, and some advice and wisdom today. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know how somebody wouldn't want to be connected to somebody like you. I don't know how uh, that wouldn't be someone that someone would want to follow or, or, or learn bits and pieces from. And so, you know, I know we're connected on Instagram. It's yeah. uh, Deborah underscore Searle, uh, like Pearl uh, <laughs> with an S and an E at the end, uh, underscore MBE. And uh, so that's your IG. Is there any other ways uh, people would be able to uh, get a hold of you. And if you could, you know, go through one more time, yeah. your website to get the, the journal and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So my, most things are linked through my website, really. It's Deborah spelled the short way, D-E-B-R-A, Searle, S-E-A-R-L-E.com, DebraSearle.com. I know the social links are on there. I and mean, I'm probably more active on Facebook and Instagram than I are any, I am anywhere else, although I do have a Twitter account. Um, and uh, yeah, I would love to connect with anyone who wants to. I'm a people person, like connecting. Thank you. Well, thanks for coming on the Grindcast all the way from the from the UK. We appreciate you. Uh, I know you're just getting started in your movie, in, in your journey. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're all here, the, the circle, our family on the Grindcast of, of, of people. Uh, we're all here to support you. And, and I'm here Thank to support you. you in any, any, any way. Uh, that I can. I appreciate, I appreciate you coming on to the Grindcast. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Grindcast. Get ready, it's a new day. Count money, man. Money, Stack man. riches. Trying, trying, told, trying, told him I'm a beast, bud. <laughs>